this Palm Sunday. It's the day we are supposed to get a scoop of ice cream in our hand, a little hot sauce and sprinkles. Palm Sunday. See, that was... <laughs> See, as I said last week, that was one of my wad moments. My what would Amy do? And she would not tell that joke, but... I ignored it and said it anyway. If you, if you want to open this morning to Luke 19, we're going to look there this morning. Is there any pain that stays with us longer than the feeling of uh, being rejected, of not being wanted? And it could come from family. It could come from friends. It could come from coworkers, from someone in society. There was an older man that was talking about his teenage years, and he said, back when I was a kid, we would play spin the bottle. But we would play it this way. You'd spin the bottle, and if it landed on you, uh, the girl would kiss you. Or if she chose, instead of kissing you, she could give you a quarter. He said, by the time I turned 18, I had enough quarters to pay for college. <laughs> a quarter's nice, but it's, it's really poor compensation for a girl not wanting to kiss you. It's hard to be rejected, to be unwanted. There was a story in the Associated Press about uh, the unwanted girls in India. We know the stories about the unwanted girls in China, where every family is supposed to have uh, one child. And in that agricultural part of their society, uh, they believe that a typical male baby in his lifetime can contribute more to a household than a baby girl. So that's why many families in China want boys. But something similar happened in India, but for different reasons. Part of the reason the Indians favor sons is the enormous expense it takes to marry off your daughters. Families will often go into debt as they arrange marriages and pay for these elaborate dowries in order to marry off their daughters. Whereas a boy, on the other hand, will one, home, one day bring home a bride as well as a large dowry. And so in that culture, there had, that has led to a large number of abortions. So much so that India, India hospitals are legally banned from revealing the sex of an unborn fetus in order to prevent those selective sex abortions. Some female infants, when they're first born, the parents are, are, treat them so badly, many don't survive. Those that do are often given the name Nakusa, which means unwanted. Imagine having your child be called unwanted. Activists say that is widely given to girls across India so much that one district started conducting ceremonies where Indian girls could actually legally change their names. Any girls with the name Nakusa are allowed to replace it with the name of their choosing, a name that tells them they are loved and wanted. Is there any emotion more devastating than feeling unwanted, rejected, especially by those that are supposed to love you and accept you? See, Christ knew what that was like. His own people rejected him. One who was closest to him betrayed him. Another denied him. And when he needed them most, almost all of his friends turned their back on him. He knew what it was like to be rejected. You know what it was like to have people one day say, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days later, hear those same voices cry, crucify him. All this, of course, we know is foretold in the Old Testament. But it reminds us on this Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was intended to be a day of celebration. On this day, we remember the people of Jerusalem and how they welcomed Jesus into the city. Uh, Look with me at our scripture, Luke 19. We're going to start with verse 28. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Now, a little background here. Uh, I found out donkeys were very valuable back then. And because of that, many families that were quite poor, they would cooperatively own a donkey. So there would be several families owning one donkey and they would share it. And it seemed to work pretty well. But they said there was an ancient law that required citizens to render to any of their kings or emissaries anything they deemed they wanted. So if a king came and he said, I need your donkey, families were obligated to just give it to them. So that is one reason they think why Jesus tells his disciples when they go to get the donkey, if the owner asks to say, the Lord needs it. And so the disciples go and they bring the donkey to Jesus and they put their cloaks on its back. And let's continue in verse 35. It says, they brought it to Jesus through their cloaks and the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Again, this was based on an ancient custom. Spreading clothing to kind of carpet the pathway was a way that they could honor their royalty. We read in 2 Kings 9, the people became aware that Yehu had been anointed king of Israel. And they hurriedly took off their cloaks, spread them under the bare steps. They blew the trumpets and announced, Yehu is king. And in like manner, Luke tells us the people were spreading their cloaks down before Jesus, announcing Jesus is king. In John's gospel, we read that they came out and met him and spread out the palm branches as well. And continue on, verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And that would have been a great place to end the Gospel of Luke. Don't you think? I mean, Jesus had received the welcome he so deserved. He had been teaching the kingdom of God faithfully. He had been healing the sick and raising the dead. He had set an example of living at his very best. And now they were welcoming into Jerusalem their new king. And that would have been a great way to end the story in Luke. If you ask any author, any, any person that writes novels, they would tell you that that would be the great way to end. And the good guy, the, 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 the main character in the story, rides off into the sunset happily ever after. Everyone's praising him. But we know that's not how it ends. In a book titled The Last Week, theologian Marcus Borg tells about another, par- another parade that happened that same day on the other side of the city. 
Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, was entering Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry and soldiers. His procession, Jesus' procession was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Pilate was proclaiming the power of empire. Pilate was there with soldiers in case there was trouble. That was a common occurrence in Jerusalem, especially at the Passover, at that festival that celebrated the Jewish people's liberation from a different empire. He said, imagine the procession that day. A visual panoply of imperial power. Cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners. The sounds of the marching of the feet and creaking of the leather and the clinking of the bridles, the beating of the drums, the swirling of the dust, the eyes of the onlookers, some curious, some in awe, some disgusted and resentful. Pilate's procession displayed not only imperial power, but Roman imperial theology. According to their theology, the emperor was not just the ruler of Rome. He was also the son of God. So underscore Pilate's procession into Jerusalem, embodying not only a rival social order, but a rival theology. Pilate was on this side of the city, Jesus and his disciples on the other, and the stage is being set for this inevitable clash between the mightiest kingdoms of their world and the kingdom of God. And when the clash reached a climax, crushed in between the might of Rome and the will of God is the broken body of the crucified Christ. In the words of Isaiah, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. I love that. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. He bore our suffering. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears, he is silent. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he was set as an offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in the land. See, that was a day that was designed for a celebration. But as we know, that celebration was short-lived. Soon this very innocent Galilean is going to be tried before the same Pontius Pilate. He was going to be turned over to the people to be crucified. Unwanted. Rejected by his own people. But, but the good news for us, the news that we know because we live on this side of Easter is it's not the end of the story. Next Sunday, we get to come and we get to celebrate the resurrection. His victory over death. The stones rolled away. The tomb is empty. The risen Christ begins appearing. But this morning, we become content with the words of the psalmist. The stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone. The stone that, that they rejected became the very foundation for the church. An Irish poet, Sir Thomas More, had a beautiful wife, flaming red hair, bright green eyes, 
People in that part of the world said they had never seen a lovelier woman. Well, they were best of friends as well. But one year, Sir Thomas was called away for a long period of time. And during that, his wife had contracted smallpox. It was during a time when uh, there was really no cure for smallpox. Most people during that time, if they contracted it, would die. And those that didn't received horrible scars and sores. Well, Ms. Moore hung on to her life. And after the fever subsided, she looked in the mirror and actually wished she hadn't survived. Because this most beautiful bride in the world had become grotesque. She couldn't stand it anymore, so she hid in her bedroom. She ordered her servants to hang dark curtains in the rooms so no one could see her again. When Sir Thomas returned, the servants explained what had happened. And he went up to her room, but before he could open the curtains, she yelled, Oh, no, I swear never again will you see my face by the light of day. Well, he hesitated, but eventually left the room. And that night he wrote a poem. And as the sun came up the next morning, he went outside her door and he read this. He said, believe me, if all those endearing young charms, which I looked on so fondly today, were to pass in a moment and flee from my arms like fairy dreams passing away, that would still be adored as this moment thou art. Let thy loveliness fade as it will. And around the dear ruin, each wish of my heart would entwine itself verdantly still. And after he wrote the, read the poem, he went across the room, ripped the curtains wide open, and went to his wife and grabbed her in his arms and embraced her. And he said, from that moment on, she began to live. And see, that's, that's what Easter Sunday does for us. Jesus, that was unwanted, who was rejected by his own people, lay in a tomb. But as the first rays of light flood the sky, God strode into that tomb and brought forth his son from the dead. And now he reigns at the right hand of the Father. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Let us rejoice and be glad. And see, that's the great news for us. Even today, as we celebrate uh, the triumphal entry, as we remember the crucifixion and how he surrendered his life, we can rejoice and be glad every day until we come to that time when we gather with the heavenly choirs and we sing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this morning, as we come to our invitation time, my question is, have you ever felt unwanted, rejected? I want you to know that, uh, that Christ understands. He's been there. He's experienced that. But more importantly, I want you to know that he loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Loves you so much, he was willing to put up with the humiliation and the suffering and die on the cross so that you could live eternally with him. But what we are told to do is to accept that gift, salvation through him. So this morning, if you have a decision to make, I invite you to come. 